I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. So this was such a fun conversation. I just think this guest is so unbelievably lovely. And I think there were some like really deep nuggets of wisdom that completely um, just expanded my mind around elements of parenting that I hadn't really thought about in the way that she described them. And I'm so grateful that she came on um, to share. And I think her book is something that is going to be really, really a potent tool for so many parents, you know? Yeah, you know, I love when guests come on, especially when they have something like a book. And so they come on and we have like a structure or an idea of obviously what we're going to talk to them about because they have a book, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a topic specifically within that book. But there's something about when a guest comes on and we kind of diverge, diverge, divert Mm -hmm. a little bit Mm -hmm. off the path, Um, still kind of under the same wheelhouse, but you know, get to these nuggets, I suppose, especially when somebody like an author and those of you who haven't written a book, it's like, you're just on podcast after podcast after podcast. And you just, (laughs) I'm saying this from experience, you start to just say the same shit over and over again. And Mm -hmm. I love actually, as I guess we could call ourselves interviewers, um, watching that moment where you can tell that somebody's kind of gone off onto a topic that they may not have talked about before or with anybody else. Cause I'm like, yes, like we got them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and so I feel like for me anyway, there was a couple moments like that. One in particular where I was like, oh shit, you really made me think about something in a way mm. that maybe I haven't thought about it before. And obviously selfishly, I love that too. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So our guest today is Sarah Ezrin. Sarah is an author, a freelance writer, a yoga educator, and content creator based in the Bay Area. And her willingness to be unbashedly honest and vulnerable along with her innate wisdom make her writing, teaching, and social media 
great sources of healing and connection for many people. And I think you definitely feel all of that in this conversation with her. Yeah, she's awesome. I can't wait to share this one with you guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Um, Danae, I'm going to let you intro our guest just because she came to us via you, which I love when we're like, hey, have you heard of this person? That's usually how Danae and I go. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, And, you know, I think it's such... Sarah came to me as like a friend of a friend, but Mm -hmm. I think the yoga community... I was going to say in LA, but just, I guess, in California in general, ends up feeling really small. And there's like all of these like little tidbits of connections and you stumble upon some magical people that are very much like in the periphery of your world and you had no idea. And so Sarah was a treasure that I found recently and I'm just like blown away that I hadn't met you before, I guess, a couple months ago. Um, and Sarah, welcome. Thank you for being here. And you have written a new book that we're so excited to hear about. Um, But before we get into the book and your decision to write it, will you tell us just a little bit about you and what you do and how you came to the place of doing what you're doing now? Well, I first, I just want to say thank you for having me on here and for letting me invite myself over. Basically, I was like, can I come chat with both of you? Because I love talking to Danae and I love everything Vanessa has to post. I mean, I've been a big fan of your podcast and I knew Danae and I had crossing circles, but when we started to talk about the connections, it was like, we we definitely have been in rooms at the same time without knowing it, you know? So I love that, you know, and I, and I love that, that sometimes it takes, you know, maybe we would have become friends then. But, you know, I think it's like we had to go through what we had to go through. And now we're forming our friendships, you know, so. Um, the introvert just, probably yeah. would not have. No, because I don't talk to anybody. So I <laughs> if I wasn't there with her, Vanessa yeah. would have totally <laughs> talked to you. That's amazing. I'm like extrovert introvert. So I probably would have said hi and then gotten your number and then never called or, <laughs> or left the house. I love it. But anyway, I just, you know, I appreciate both of you. So thank you so much for everything you put out into the world and, you know, the retreats that you put on. I'm so glad you've been recording them lately because the gems that come out of that, um, of your chats from, you know, and I, like, I almost want to interview you guys. Like, what's the format of that? Where do those conversations come from? Because both of you, it's just like source channeling through and it's so cool to hear. So I'm excited to learn today and to be here. And I forgot what you asked. I don't even think you did you ask anything? Well, you know what's so funny? You grew did you grow up in Toronto or you're you were born LA. in Toronto? Yeah, I was okay. born in Toronto, but I grew up in LA. Okay, because I was like, I didn't know Sarah was Canadian as I was reading your um intro. And my ex-husband is from Toronto and okay. Well, so you grew up in LA and um did you you're a yoga teacher now, but did you when did you start practicing yoga? Uh, so I started, so for the Toronto thing is I left when I was three, but, um, my dad is still living there with my stepmom. My siblings are all like 10 to 15 years older than me. So they all grew up there by the time we moved, they'd already graduated high school or were like in their junior year. So, um, we still have deep connections there, but I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm an LA girl. Um, I started practicing in 2001. I was 19 and I was in college and, uh, honestly, my dad sent me a VHS as a joke. I had for my 19th birthday. 
<laughs> because I was doing everything other than taking care of myself. And uh, he was like, you know, trying to hint, hint, you know, here, maybe it's time to, as, as you're getting older, you know, at 19, which is so laughable now as, as a 41 year old, but um, he's like, you know, maybe it's time to start, to start checking in and, and, you know, taking care. Cause yoga was still pretty kind of counterculture too in 2001. Mm-hmm. And, um, little did he know the VHS he sent me, and, and you'll know these teachers, um, both of you probably know them, Gonga White and Tracy Rich of the mm-hmm. White Lotus Foundation in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. And my roommate, who is now also continues to be a yoga teacher, you know, 20 odd years later, is like both of us were literally like put out our cigarettes, like moved the spinning coffee table, <laughs> started to do it, and both of us were hooked instantaneously and like it's kind of amazing that both of us you know 20 plus years later are still I went and did like you know the movie business and like what you do uh, living on the west side of LA but but eventually I found my way back into into teaching and I think she's been teaching pretty consistently so it's kind of cool that you know it was like it, it all started you know it's one of those things where like someone says something to you or you know it's just like the the tiniest planting of a seed um, that grows into the this whole, you know, it's, it's everything. I mean, it's my, Mm. my entire life. Mm. I love that. So how did you kind of make your way from teaching? And then obviously you have this book that we want to get into, but I mean, you know, was it a, it never is. So this is obviously a loaded question. Was it a linear path to get there? (laughs) (laughs) Like, how did that come? How did the the book, um, how was the book birthed? I suppose. What, yeah, what is even, I don't even think linear, I think that just like an oxymoron, it doesn't exist, that it's right. like a, an oasis, a, a, <laughs> no such thing in any way. I mean, maybe just in order, but even time I'm wondering now is like, you know, is that even linear? Um, well, I've always been a writer. I've been a writer my whole life and, um, and I've, I've always loved writing essays and blogs. And, you know, when I first started to teach, it was, I started teaching in 2008 and I can't really remember when like blogs started happening, but uh, whenever Elephant Journal and Mind Body Green first came out, which I think was like 2010, mm-hmm. um, I was very lucky to be one of the first writers for both of those. And, you know, I do like essays and one-offs here and there, um, but yoga was my life and and that's what I just poured my heart and soul into. Um, and then when I started to, when I moved up here to San Francisco, I actually started to, to write for Healthline. I started writing for yoga journal and like, I I realized I was like, oh my goodness, like, this is not just for fun anymore. You know, this is like, this is really part, I love it. It's part Dharma, but it's like, it's, it's kind of like my yoga teaching. Like it's very confusing. It's all like deeply interconnected. Uh, you know, like I absolutely love what I do, but I can also kind of make money from it. And I'm like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I always wanted to write a book. Um, but I never knew what like the book was going to be. And it wasn't until I became a mom and was looking for the book that I needed that I was like, wait, you know, why don't I create what it is? And, and not to say that I'm like, you know, the expert in all things. I actually, um, Danae knows and, and partly why I, I interviewed Danae because the, the bigger project of the yoga parenting is that I went to all the experts I know. I went to all my friends that are parents. I went to therapists. I went mm-hmm. to, um, you know, people that run mom groups and parenting groups, you know, and, and I was like, let's put everything together into one place so that people who are in the yoga practice or who are interested in yoga philosophy and want to tie that into parenting, they have some place to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. So will you tell us a little bit about 
how your life shifted when you became a mom. I love how you say it, Sarah. Um, <laughs> but like, how did life shift for you? I think that we love having conversations with women because it is such a cataclysmic shift within yeah. the psyche. Um, and if you think about Sarah pre-mama and then post-mama, like how are you different that you can recognize and see clearly now? It's funny you said cataclysmic because in my head I was like tectonic. <laughs> that was the <laughs> Um, you know, look, I'll be fully honest. I didn't really plan on becoming a mom, you know, mm -hmm. I, uh, and like in retrospect, and I think I talked about this with you today, like, you know, I, I told myself it was like, oh, I don't need a family. Like, I'm just going to focus on my career and I'm just going to make it all about yoga and this and that. But in retrospect, what I realized is having lost my own mom, mm -hmm. I was afraid of commitment and afraid of deep loss. And so I just channeled myself into everything, but, um, but you know, when I met my husband and on our second date, he was like, I was put on this earth to be a father. And I was like, mm, you know, I don't even like, I literally like barely held a child. Um, I was like, you know, maybe with the right person, I'll try it. But when we got pregnant for the first time, I mean, my, my entire world shifted and even though I wasn't prepared and I'm still not prepared, you know, four, four years later, five years later, we then lost the baby. And that was when I had this moment of, okay, you know, it was the scariest thing that could have happened in that moment because that was all my fears realized. But at the same time, it reinforced what I needed to be doing in this moment and how badly I actually wanted it. And that sometimes the loss and the risk and the pain is worth more than, you know, hiding back than trying to protect yourself from it. That mm -hmm. it was like, I was ready to put myself out there again, because the joy of seeing those two lines on the stick of the life that I imagined in the short amount of time. I mean, I was nine weeks, you know, when, when we lost the baby, the first time, the first baby, um, you know, it was like, it just, it, it set me on this journey of like determination. I mean, it was like, it was a whole new Dharma that was unfolding. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, pregnancy with my first was fairly smooth. I have to say uh, it, you know, I like, I taught all the way up until like a month before I gave birth. And I was like, see y'all in six weeks, you know, like totally I had no idea. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, from the birth and up until Today, you know, again, four years later, everything just rocked my world. I mean, you know, the, the pregnancy, I don't even want to say it was easy. It was just compared to my second pregnancy because my second pregnancy was an HD pregnancy. But it was, I think I was still under the illusion that I could control things until the baby came out. And then that's when everything just changed. And, you know, it was like a reckoning for me. I mean, I've been in therapy since I was eight. I have, you know, been teaching for over 15 years. I've been, you know, into spiritual practices since I was 12. I've been doing it since I was 19. I've been, like, I've been on the path, right? But nothing has been a trial by fire like that first kid. Mm -hmm. And I was, we were alone. You know, we didn't really have a village as, as most families don't these days. It was just the two of us. And, you know, no grandparents, we didn't have any sort of paid support either. And then COVID hit. So we were yeah. completely isolated. Um, I was detected, detached from like all of my regular practices. I was detached from all of my friends. So I had severe postpartum anxiety, didn't even know what it was called. I didn't know what it was, you know. 
um, I completely let, lost myself at first. And then as I started to heal, finding myself again, it's like, it's so, because we, I think we talked about this, Danae, when you and I got to chat is like, that it's not like a transformation into something different. It's almost like you get back to who you truly are, like Mm -hmm. who you were at your core and in your heart before, like high school and college and trying to fit in in the twenties and like you get so far away from your truth and then you go through motherhood and you think it's going to change you into someone even further away from that, but it's not it like, it brings you back to your heart and back to your core. So it was this long, very not linear uh, journey, but I think ultimately now, as I sit here, mom of two kids, absolutely exhausted. uh, But you know, I, I feel more myself today than I have maybe since I was, you know, five, six, Honestly, hmm. I love that. You're like the first woman I've heard say that mm-hmm. in the way that you did. I love it. I'm obsessed with it because it really resonates as a truth as I'm listening. And there's something else I just wanted to circle back to you that I, that I heard you say that I thought was so interesting. So Vanessa and I have a friend who used to work in a fertility clinic. And she told us when we were in grad school that... Um, like some astronomical of number of women miscarry. Like it's actually like almost every, so like a third, you know, right? woman has it's like their third. first, yeah, it's like a really large number, but most women don't know they're pregnant. So yeah. they don't realize. Um, but, you know, I think I had such a similar experience to what you're describing. I don't want to speak for you, but I think like we both sort of can resonate with that experience, but I think there's something spiritual in what you're describing in that space of like having the felt experience of a baby within you getting excited and having that, um, that loss that Mm. I think there's something that is cemented in myself as a mother. Like, first of all, that you are a mother when you have that baby initially, even if, as you have the loss, but then there's something that it just ushers in the sacred nature of motherhood for me in a way that like, it's different forevermore. Like you never take this experience of getting to be a mother for granted because you know that it literally can be taken away. I think there's just something about um, you saying that that just felt like really profound in terms of like the spiritual, like the lesson in that Mm. loss. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Vanessa, you were, I felt like you were going to say something. Yeah. I mean, in my head, I was thinking I've had two very I don't know if the word is different or maybe they're, I don't think that they're opposing. I'm actually in my head. I'm trying to work out how they exist together. And I've never really thought about this, but it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm resonating with what both of you are saying, because prior to having my daughter, I had a miscarriage and I never wanted children. Um, And I was Mm -hmm. like, not even on the fence about it. I mean, I was very clear that I did not want children and got accidentally pregnant, had a miscarriage. And it was in that kind of the the time after that where I was like, oh shit, like, do I want this? And it was something about the, like, I didn't. And then when it happened and I was like, all right, well, I'm at a place where I guess I'm going to do this. And so you start to plan and you start to like visualize and see yourself in a different way than you had, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had had my life planned out in one way and now suddenly it was like, oh shit, it's going to go a different way. And in seeing myself in that place, it suddenly opened me up to like, oh shit, maybe I do want that. So it's like, I'm resonating with that. And, you know, I, I terminated her pregnancy, um, prior to that many years before that. 
and did not have that experience, right? I mean, yeah. there was definitely, um, you know, it was another accidental, it was definitely grieving that went into that. And there was definitely a lot of like, kind of soul searching, but my knowing that I needed to not be pregnant was very clear. And, and it wasn't about like, oh, I don't want to be a mother. It was just like, this is not right. Not right right now, not right person, not right time, all the things, right? And so it's interesting that I've had two experiences where I was and then I wasn't but yet they were very different experiences. Right. And like, mm. and that first one was still, it changed me forever, but in a very different way, because I didn't come out of that thinking I wanted to be a mom, you know? Um, yeah. But I think there's also a contextualization in, and not at all. Like I want to be like so clear about what I'm saying. Like one is um, like, this was my choice versus one is like, this was taken when, yeah it was something not necessarily like in what you're describing that I desired, but like the choice was sort of taken away from me. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like yeah. in that moment of that loss, it's like, this was something I had planned for thought was happening. And then that choice was taken away, which is a, like a sort of like powerlessness that I totally. think is, you know, a little different visceral experience. Cause I also, um, I, I had to terminate pregnancy when I was 17 and mm -hmm. you know, it, it also changed me entirely. Mm -hmm. I mean, my whole life, I, I like quit hard drugs and, you know, mm -hmm. was sent on a completely different path and in no right. way did I want that pregnancy. But what I love that you're saying today is the difference, you know, cause I do sometimes think like, yes, it is like, you know, I don't want to get too yoga and boo woo on here, but like, you know, do is it, it like, all the, get all the is it, it's like, you know, we get kind of cracked open and then like a soul starts to download inside of you, you know, but oh, like wait. it what point does that start to happen? And then where do they mm -hmm. have to go? And maybe they have other places to be. Mm -hmm. But I think the the desire for pregnant for um, motherhood or parenthood is really coming from the choice of it. And that's what I say this in my book, too. I'm like, when do you become a mom? Like, wh yeah. when do you become a mom? Because so many people don't carry their children. And, and, you know, mm -hmm. is it, are you, or, and there's so many people that have been trying to have kids for years and years and years. Does this right. mean that they're not mothers or all the kids mm -hmm. that they lost? So I think the choice of it, mm -hmm. that opening yourself up to it, it's like, you're ready for the download, you know, of the soul mm -hmm. that, that new soul or souls, you know, if you have multiples, um, that really is the beginning of the process. And when that somehow gets cut off for whatever reason, right. If you have to terminate because the baby is ill or if you lose the baby, you know, not by choice, um, mm -hmm. that's when it, it feels very stunted. And, and yeah. you know, I don't know. I mean, I think there's just different parts to the process. Um, but there's also like the science of it with both, both of you will know best, which is like that your whole cellular structure changes, right? Your whole right. DNA mm -hmm. changes just from like, a, I think it's a few weeks of, of pregnancy. There's a, there's a name for it. So, um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of layers to it. And that transformation is, um, is not just even on a physical level. We know, I think it really is the, the psychological choice, the opening ourselves up to this new being. I love that. That actually, when you said that, that landed in a way where I thought, um, I mean, I'm saying this with absolutely no shame in saying it. I think that happened for me around my daughter's second birthday, hmm. truly. And it's not that I didn't love her. Obviously I did. Of course. Um, but I think part of the reason I never wanted to I never wanted to have kids is because I've always been a caretaker my whole life. I was super parentified. I didn't really have a choice in the matter. It's just always been what I've done. I do it with all my friends. I do it with all my partners. Like I'm just the fucking mom, right? Like it's just, it's yeah. like part of my DNA, but a part of my DNA that I always really resisted and kind of didn't like. And so I think when you say that there was this choice that I made around the age of two, where suddenly she was like this, um, 
like my buddy. You know what I mean? There was something, you know, that age, cause we've all had, we all have a kid that's older than that now. Like there's something about them around that age where you're suddenly like, Oh my God, I really enjoy you. <laughs> like you're really <laughs> funny. You have this like personality. And suddenly we were like very connected in a way that I felt like we really weren't before because it was just all about like, Oh God, I got to survive and feed her and change her and keep her alive and all these things that now, I mean, of course I'm still feeding her, but it's just different now, you know? And so <laughs> I promise everybody I'm still feeding her. <laughs> but that idea of like that choice being something that kind of opens you to like that channel that feels very resonant. And I'm like, Oh shit. I can like feel like I remember that moment around too when that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I feel like there's already a few things that you've said, Sarah, that I'm like, God, that, that perspective is something that I have never heard someone speak mm -hmm. to. And that's really resonant and beautiful. Um, what else are some of the, the things that like you felt drawn to write about in the book that are like, these are like the, the, the little the nuggets, nuggets. You, you talked mm -hmm. about, like, you know, gathering wisdom from all these other mamas. What are some of the like things just like off the cuff that you think of when you think of those? Well, so like part of the motivation with the book, right, is like I was looking for, for the book and what was the book, right, mm -hmm. um, is I think it goes, it sh I should go back to the books that I was reading because there are incredible books out there. There's a lot of fantastic resources, but most of like the middle of the road parenting books, the ones that I wouldn't group under, you know, personal development or spirituality, most of them made me feel worse, right? Like most of them were like, here's the formula you must follow. Here's the script. And I'm like, I can't remember. It's like, you know, when you're in survival mode, like I can't remember a script with a demanding child. Like, I'm like, wait, do I get down on the level first? Do I validate next? Like what with the acronyms, you know? <laughs> so there was that, that side of it. And then when I did, you know, I wanted the spiritual side of it too. I wanted, you know, Right. to talk about mindfulness and all that. But of course, mindfulness is all from the Buddhist perspective. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, where is the yoga, the yoga of it? Right. And, mm -hmm. and just certain terms and nuggets that like we hear all the time on the mat, like even something simple, which I think is just cross it's cross cultural. It's just called many different things is like prana, like energy management, you know? Um, and you know, it's, it's also known as chi or, you know, there's many, many different words for it, but I, I just wanted to hear about prana like this. And this is kind of like what we're talking about right now is like the opening ourselves up to the greater collective energy that, you know, like let's, I just wanted that kind of languaging, um, or even simply the breath, like how, how has the breath influenced my parenting and, and how can it help influence others? Um, even just, you know, observing the breath. And the other, the other concept of like tapas, I mean, there's many different concepts in there, but the idea was like these little nuggets that were things that I, I practice every day on my mat. How is this coming up in my parenting and how can I find other sources to start to tie everything together? So, you know, the biggest piece that came out of the whole book was that like yoga is not what you're doing on the mat, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I, D don't tell my 20 year old self that like hate to break it to you, Sarah, but you know, the, the all those years of trying to get your leg behind your head, you know, it, it's, as fun as they were. <laughs> and now we're paying for it at 41. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was not it. That was not it at all. The yoga mm -hmm. was, I is exactly what we're talking about right now, right. which is that deeper connection. It's that soul to soul with other people and community. It's that deeper connection to the big S self of you and who you are. Um, and that was like, that was the greatest realization of all, because here I was beating myself up that I couldn't get on the mat for more than 20 minutes when I realized like, oh, you know, talking to all my friends and talking to all of these amazing experts, 
we're doing yoga every second of every day that we are caretaking for mm -hmm. another being. Yes. This happens to be a parenting book, but you know, it's like you were saying, Vanessa, being a caretaker to your friends, to your elder, you know, to elder parents or family members, all of that is, is yoga. And, and that's the best lesson of it all, because then I'm like, okay, <laughs> even right now, breathing in this toddler meltdown, you know, I've got a very strong Aries personality side. Like I'm like, okay, this this is my yoga in this moment. And it, it absolutely is. And it's, it's actually made it even richer and more beautiful than any leg behind the head I ever did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love so much that you're talking about like the management of chi, because I think mm -hmm. something Vanessa and I talk a lot about is that like, we weren't really aware until we became parents, the extent to which like, there's like this you know, management of the energy that's happening. And it's not just the energy between you and your child. It's the energy between you and your partner and how they are both sort of like pulling on your energy resources and like that you can just feel so like I I am losing my center in the extent mm -hmm. to which the life force is sort of being drawn out of me. <laughs> the way we oh talk about it sounds so abysmal. <laughs> the way your life force is just being well, sucked out. It's, it's, it is literally happening. <laughs> That is exactly what that is. Listen, we have to laugh or we'll cry, okay? I think it's hilarious. Vanessa sent me the funniest meme this morning that was like this mom going back and forth and, and it's hell and I never sleep, but I love it. And it's just like the back and forth of like what it is to be a mom and that it's like so the richest, most, I love the way you spoke to it, Sarah, like the return to self and the most challenging experience of like, stepping up into what I'm capable of being that I will ever experience in this lifetime. You know, like I think um, I'm constantly like my, my six-year-old, I'm like, every, like, it's just a new thing. And it's like, this is happening with swimming and this is happening with potty training. Like it's always a something that is challenging mm -hmm. you to like be confronted with like, okay, who do you want to be today? How do you want to show up for this? You know, I mean, and that's, do you guys yoga. ever wonder though that, and I, cause I do remember us talking about this, Danae was that if we were in a village, if we were, if we were really raising our kids mm -hmm. in a collective and in a community where we were not our, our partner's only source, which many of us are, because like, thankfully I have a whole team. I've got a psychiatrist and a therapist, <laughs> you know, but like many of us are the only source for, mm -hmm. for, for partners. If we had the uncles and the aunties and the grandparents and the neighbors and, you know, and we do have our neighbors obviously, but if it was truly in the village form, Yes. Do you think we would be as depleted as we are in this modern era? Because I, I don't, you know, no. it's like, or, or like if postpartum was as, the, as honored and sacred as it should be, and we had all the aunties coming in and taking care mm -hmm. of us, like, it's like we come in at a deficit, then we're, you know, completely isolated and stripped away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like in our, our situation, you know, we live quite far from, from everybody. I mean, my brother's in the city, but he's got another toddler. So like, how are you taking care of each other's kids? You know? Right. Um, but it's like, yeah, you come in, like you're already at a deficit and then you're, and then you're just playing catch up. And then the, it just gets more and more intense, the scheduling, and you're going to enter like the sport zone soon, which a lot of my girlfriends are in, which is like, <sighs> I can't even, I'm like, how are they in six different sports in one week? I don't, I don't understand. No. How are they in basketball no. and swimming? And it's like, I'm not doing that. That's what I'm like, saying, no. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. And then talk to me in three years and that's exactly what I'll be doing. But yeah, I just, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder because we do talk about it, you know, as like this beauty of motherhood and, 
you know, it is the most, for parenthood in general, I don't want, you know, I know many people are, don't identify as moms, but still gave birth. But like, yeah, I just wonder, you know, would it be as depleting? Would it be, I, I, obviously you're going to go through maiden to mother to, to crone and, and all those phases. But I just always wonder if we were really in the settings that, that humans and social creatures were meant to be in, what would the energy management be like? I don't know. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think from the time we had children, both Vanessa and I talked to each other about like, we were not meant to do this by ourselves. And I think there's a visceral sense of that, that we feel when we have babies that like, I am the most introverted person on the planet, as we talked about. And I have never felt a sense of like, I need more mamas. Like I need someone to tell me like something here. Like I need some sort of salva for like how isolated I feel in this. But one other thing you said that I think is really important to name is like, I think the quote support that we get a lot of time from our elders is like, you need to be doing more. You Mm. need to be more perfect at this. You need to put them in more sports. You need to like, and to me, like the support we can give one another beyond the like physical support and beyond the like, I don't know, helping one another with the actual raising of our kids. And yes, absolutely. I'm so on board with that. But I think what we can support one another in more is some of what you're talking about, which is you're absolutely doing enough. Mm -hmm. And whatever scripts people are telling you and however, like they're telling you to do this perfectly, like we need to take some of the pressure off because what I experience with moms um, and parents, to your point more than anything else, is the level of pressure to be doing this correctly is like like debilitating mobilizing yeah Yeah. debilitating thank you like it's just like I I I don't even know what to do but I'm hating my life because it's so hard to feel like I'm getting this right and I'm like hey you're doing enough like do less (laughs) take it down times 10 that's what you can do you know but I really don't think that's a permission or even a validation that our society offers parents very often. It's like, nope, they need to be in every sport. They need to do all the things they need to be, or somehow you failed as a parent. And I don't know, I just reject it. I can't. I mean, I have to say like, we, we're we're doing, my son's only four. I'm like, we're doing a good job. You know, that's like, even when it comes to the birthday parties, like when I check in with my friends that are back home and like the birthday parties that went down for, you know, the one, two, three-year-olds and like, I'm like, no, we're going to a park. (laughs) I'm not even going to rent the table through the city. Sorry, city of San Rafael. And like, everyone's going to come and like, it's fine. Maybe I'll throw some like pirate's booty in a, you know, like, (laughs) But I, I like I just there are certain things I don't want to participate in. I, I think what's going to be harder is when the kids are older and they want to be in all of those things, how you're kind of managing, mm-hmm. um, you know, that part of it. But I do think that's all that's all energy management, too. And that mm-hmm. like, thank goodness for the yoga mat, because what started is, OK, maybe this is not the time to take a chaturanga push up and do a vinyasa has now translated into, oh, I don't want to do that play date on Saturday because, you know, we are doing one on Sunday and like learning how to manage energy in a different way, which is, mm-hmm. which is so much what we're talking about too. Um, and first you have to be aware of the energy, right? And I think a lot of people just aren't. I think we're mm-hmm. so, so many of us are in survival mode and running on empty that, you know, we think we're, we're getting it all done, but we're just on adrenaline, you know? Well, I think also so many people are, so used to running away from stillness. Hmm. Right. So I, I think one of the benefits, I mean, all three of us in here, obviously having very strong, you know, 
the actual movement component of yoga, but like a very strong yoga practice going into parenthood. I think what that did for me that I wasn't really evil, even able to acknowledge until maybe a couple years in was because I had done the work around stillness before giving birth. Um, and I had really reclaimed it, not perfect at it. You know, I'm still, I'm from the Northeast. I still have that like New Yorker kind of energy in me. Um, I can definitely deplete myself if I'm not careful and paying attention, but I, I have a, a relationship with stillness at least enough where I can tap into that. And I think I see a lot of people, especially mothers um, who have no relationship to stillness and then they get into motherhood and it just turns it up. And, you know, you want to ask people like, what are you, what are you running from? Right? Like, mm -hmm. why do you keep yourself so busy? Because you're, you don't actually seem happy. You don't actually seem fulfilled. You don't actually seem like you're enjoying all of the busyness. You seem like you're doing it in order to not be still is what it seems like. Maybe that's my therapist hat coming into play, but I just see it so often. And I think that, you know, whether it's yoga or, or meditation or whatever form that takes for you, I think cultivating a practice of stillness, if you have the ability to do it before becoming a parent, great. But if not, realizing how important it is just in general for life, um, I think it's just really beneficial for all of us, especially in this culture, this like hustle culture that we're in. And I think stillness looks different for everybody, right? Because, you know, obviously, and you guys, you, you know best, you're the therapist, but like if someone has a trauma background, like sitting in silence or laying quietly right. is not going to be uh, restful, but maybe being outside and walking in right. like a city center could be, or, you know, something it, it's so it, but it is, it's, it's, how are you finding like, you know, it's almost like, like maybe stillness isn't the word because some people need movement to get there. But I, mm -hmm. I understand what you're getting at. Like I, we can brainstorm it. We should workshop the word, but it's like, it's almost like, it's like grounding. What are you doing to ground yourself? Mm -hmm. And whether that is sitting quietly for 15 minutes in the morning or doing, moving your body in yoga asana or driving around with the music on full blast, you know? Um, but what are those things that you're doing where it is off the to-do list, right? It's not, it's not because you're knocking things off of your list. I mean, this is totally unrelated and I'm just going to share it because you're a therapist and I thought you'd find this interesting. It's not unrelated, but it's like not, not necessarily about, about the yoga of parenting. It's just my own personal anxiety. But usually when I'm in high anxiety, I, I, and like, I have generalized anxiety disorder, you know, I've, I'm on medication. It's been a, it's a lifelong journey. But one of the things that I do is I overschedule. That's how I avoid it. So when I'm in that feeling of like wanting to rip my skin off because I'm so uncomfortable, I go and I do and do and do. Mm. And the other day I was like, what if I just stopped? <laughs> what if mm. I just actually stopped, which is the scariest thing I've ever done. And I know it sounds like, you know, anybody that's listening is probably like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, your body's telling you to stop, but it was it was like, it, I mean, it's exactly what we're talking about. It was just like stopping to just be in the discomfort as opposed to trying to cover it all up, mm. right? And it ended up being like I, I could uh, digest it better, right? I could tolerate it more just by accepting I'm going to be uncomfortable for this minute mm. because I'm going to sit in my discomfort for the minute. 
And it was just like, as opposed to always trying to run ahead of it. I mean, it felt very like mind blowing and interesting. And, you know, I mean, it's like, I do it all the time when my kids are having a tantrum. I'm like, okay, just sit in it. Right. I do it when I'm in a warrior two and my front leg is burning, but I hardly do it for my anxiety for whatever reason. When, it, when I'm anxious, I'm like, push it away, make it change, do something different. But I was like, well, let's try this with anxiety. And it was, it was like, felt very revolutionary. Just like, okay, what are you feeling? Where is it in your body? What's your breathing doing? Um, it was it was really interesting approach. Mm. I love that, Sarah. I think it's for me sort of circles back to what you were saying before about the ways that motherhood sort of circles us back to a sense of home, a sense of self within ourselves, almost because I feel like we don't have another option. Like we have to keep going. <laughs> but like a lot of times I think what you're saying is really important because after I had a baby, like all of my tools, my toolkit just like wouldn't work for me. Yeah, like same. I couldn't get on the mat and do the mm -hmm. things that I could do. I couldn't find peace in my body and it was mm -hmm. deeply destabilizing. And I was like, okay, what can I do? Start where I am, use what I have, do what I can. I'm going to go on a hike. I'm going to strap my kid to me and I'm going to go and be in nature. And I felt better, but that wasn't what I did before I had a baby. You know, it was just, I had to acquire some different tools, but some of those tools brought me back to nature and back to like source in a way that I didn't realize I was so hungry for until I had no choice. You know? mm. I love that. What do you feel like, Sarah? I mean, for, for listeners who, you know, don't have or haven't had a yoga practice, I mean, if they were to pick up your book, what do you feel like are some ways that, you know, that kind of um, population can still benefit from what's in there and kind of the wisdom you've, you've kind of called together? So I, it's funny because I, I did a book event and somebody's like, what if you hate yoga? <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I like, well, because she, you know, she was like supporting the woman that I was co-presenting with and she's like, I like you, but I don't really like the yoga. Um, I mean, I think, I think we have to go back to again, redefining what yoga is and yeah. people may not have ever come to a mat and done a downward dog or, you know a tree pose, what you would, what you would imagine what the movement is. But mm -hmm. I, you know, I guarantee you, if you're a human living in this world and interacting with other humans, then you're doing yoga every day. So redefining what that is. Um, there are some poses in it, but it's not like sequences, right? Every chapter, it's really multi-sensorial. And I, I didn't even realize a friend of mine was like, so did you know that you designed your book about the koshas? Cause like in the yoga tradition, we believe that, you know, there's multiple layers to our being from the physical sense to the energetic sense, to the mind layer, right. To the wisdom layer, to then your soul layer. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I thought my, I didn't even know that I organized my book at all. I was like, here's just all my thoughts. And my editor had to like put it together, but I was like, oh my goodness, like that's kind of what we do. So every chapter has one pose, which is very accessible. And that's just, how are you going to feel it in your physical body? And then we talk about how are you feeling it in the energy body? We talk about breath practices, um, just really simple, like pause, take a breath. Uh, it's, it's literally that. It's, they're called breath breaks. And, um, and then the, the mental part of it too, which is like how is modern psychology and brain research backing up all this stuff that we've been claiming for millennia? Mm -hmm. um, and the wisdom body of like, what's the deeper intuition for you? What, what's the deeper knowing? And um, every chapter ends with an, a, a, it's like called, you know, off the mat and into family exercise. And it's just like, 
you know, whether it's a journal prompt or a, a visualization meditation, but it's just so that we can tap into our own innate wisdom. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as I say in the book, and, you know, I, it's like, people are then like, why buy the book? It's like, you don't even need the book, right? Like you have all the answers within, but, but I think we just get blocked off to it. It's, it's like, you know, that it goes back to that journey, right? Where mm -hmm. we're so connected to our needs, and especially I, I watch my baby, right? Like my baby knows exactly what he needs at all times. It may be, it may seem erratic and it may go from like, I'm hot, I'm cold. I got to, you know, do this. I got to <laughs> do that. But there's a tuning in there that, that the kids have that we then start to lose. And I'm watching it with my four-year-old who just had a really bad fall um, and ended up in the hospital. It was like a whole thing. And he, I'm watching fear start to build and I'm watching the stories start to build and I'm watching... He's not tapped into his intuition. Like he climbed way up. We were at a playground and he climbed all the way up and then he got up and he panicked. And it was like his body knew what to do, but then the mind started to, and then, you know, anyway. So, you know, what can we do? And then, and then we start having the social conditioning too, right? Of friends and, and those mm -hmm. judgments. So what happens when we become parents and, and, you know, how can we get back to those places of deeper knowing? Well, thankfully yoga has so many tools, whether it is through the body or through a sitting practice or through very simply just asking yourself a question, you know, um, one of my, one of the chapters I, I suggest just observing your kids for like mm -hmm. 20 minutes, you know, and, and just like watch, watch and just like what comes up for you. So I, you know, I think the, the long answer to that is that, you know, yoga is way more than the poses and there's so many different avenues to find this connection and this grounding that really is the yoga practice. Beautiful. Well, I love it. I'm, I'm sold. Um, so we have our, our lightning round of questions that we want to ask you I'm like, that went fast. Um, the first question, Sarah, is who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, people that have influenced your path up to this point? Mm. Well, my parents, of course, you know, I mean, like, and it's funny because I, I feel like, you know, you talk about the book, you're like, well, then my dad did this. <laughs> but the reality <laughs> is, the reality is, you know, for all the humanness that was my parents, um, you know, they were also there was a lot of love and a lot of healing and a lot of coming together. Um, and you know, that, that is just the greatest teachers is, you know, getting, showing up as adults and doing the work in the reparations of the things that happened when we were younger. So 100% my parents and their ability to, to apologize and stand mm -hmm. in their truth and stand in their power now. Um, all my yoga teachers, I mean, I, I can't, I don't have the time to name them all, but you know, I will, I will say like Mati Israti and, and Annie Carpenter, are my two top teachers, you know, and Mati Danenos passed away a couple of years ago. I was actually pregnant with Jonah, um, with my first, cause she was like my yoga mama, you know, um, and Annie continues to be too. And then my kids, I like, that's, and I'm not just saying that everybody's like, they're like live in Buddhas, right? I think John Kabat-Zinn says that, but they really are my teachers. Like I learned so much through them. Um, it's pretty remarkable, you know, and whether it's just like seeing my own tendencies and I was like, Oh, I don't really like, that. <laughs> like, Oh, I really like that, you know? Um, but that's just, it's just learning in, in that way. It's such a wonderful, wonderful mm -hmm. Uh, every day, every day is an adventure. Every day is a lesson. Amen. 
Um, so this concept of flow, right? This thing that you can do and the thinking brain shuts off. You can blink your eyes mm. and an entire day goes by. What is that for you? What do you find flow in? Writing. Mm. 1000%. It's, you know, and I, like, I guess it was yoga at some point, maybe when I was in Ashtanga, like, you know, my, my asana practice, but mm. it's, it's always been writing my whole life. It's been writing, you know, and like, we're like, hours and hours will go by. I have no idea, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, it's always, it's always my writing. I love that. Like this idea that it can change and evolve as you evolve and then maybe come back to something that has always mm. been there as a through line. It's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And what breaks your heart, Sarah? I think the world. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's like uncomfortable laughter, insert uncomfortable laughter. <laughs> I mean, we get um, it. Yeah. Am I allowed to cuss? Sorry. I, it breaks my heart that like I went and did a staycation with my son in uh, San Francisco and went to go see the sea lions, you know, the sea, the, all the seals and the sea lions. And there was two, mm. like it breaks my heart that we went scuba diving in the great barrier reef and I couldn't see anything. Everything was the, the corals all bleached mm -hmm. and that, you know, my son, will see an elephant or something on the TV. And, and I'm like, you know, I can't promise him that, that that'll still be around when he gets older. It really does break my heart. You know, um, it just does. It, it's just like, you know, what it just does. I don't, I know. And I'm, I'm not like a huge, uh, I mean, I like, I'd like to consider myself an activist. I think I'm a lot more outspoken and passionate when it comes to like parental rights and, you know, that kind of stuff, which is a little bit more than nitty gritty. But when I pause and when I pull back and when I look at the world that I'm handing my sons, it breaks my heart what mm -hmm. we're handing over to them. And I just have to trust that, you know, this is th that this is our purpose and we just have to keep moving forward and I can only educate them the best ways that I can. And, and, you know, I don't know what the future is going to bring. We never know what the future is going to bring, but yeah, it's, it's pretty, that's that now that's all mm. I know you I mean you asked the questions so I don't have to I'm like trying to talk <laughs> toxic positivity it over no I'm just gonna we'll just sit with it that's all just yep. breathe yep. <laughs> that's it the world we're handing over it's a tough it's a tough one tough pill to swallow it's one of the reasons actually mm. one of the many reasons I didn't think I wanted children yeah um and then the last question is the the the, the clincher what is your favorite food ha <laughs> I mean, pizza, like who, who isn't it? I know, it's everybody's that. pizza. I feel yeah. like it's pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I mean, pizza is like the perfect food. It's yeah, it's pizza. I mean, pizza. pizza. Yeah. And pepperoni pizza. I went through my vegan stage and my, you know, I was a vegetarian for years on and off and bacon was like my dad bacon was always an exception my dad would always say bacon is its own food group because we're jewish you know and so like he <laughs> we never kept kosher and he's like bacon is its own food group it's it's totally kosher and for pepperoni pizza was one of the first meats that i ate again when i started to reintroduce meat when i met my husband it was pepperoni pizza and now i'm eating everything again but um but yeah i'm like oh my god how did i ever live without this like this is, <laughs> we have it at least once a week and especially having two kids and a husband you know and having to feed a full family oh, we're a in the bay family. area no question yeah, it's like we had a 35 dollar pizza 35 dollar i mean i was like wait this is supposed to be the inexpensive path uh, but oh you god. know what no such thing anymore <laughs> yeah. doesn't exist nope. <laughs> no but Aww. still worth it still delicious and uh, yeah definitely my fave 
Well, Sarah, you are such a treasure to thank our mutual friend, Patty, again for making the introduction. I'm so grateful to know you. And I just have to interject. I do think that you are doing a tremendous amount of activism in writing a book like this. You know, I think offering parents tools to really be able to stay with themselves in a time where that is what I mean, you're talking to therapists, but I think we believe this world needs more than anything else, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we have the ability to stay in our bodies and attempt to self-regulate, we don't sort of react and lash out and do things that are going to be harmful for our children and the next generation. So this activism to me matters more than anything else. So thank you for your activism and the way you're showing up in the world. And thank you for being here, sister. Thank you. I'll take that in. And Patty Pena is who we're talking about, who's a phenomenal yeah. photographer in LA. Am I allowed to give her a shout out? Patricia Pena. Yes, oh, all the love to Patty. I know Patty. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Patty's done a lot of work. And photos. Vanessa, I'm so glad to finally meet you yeah, in same. person, IRL. And you know, I mean it's funny you have these like parasocial relationships with people. I'm like, oh, I know you. We're like best friends. <laughs> never actually sat down. But uh, yeah, and I thank, thank you so both much. for everything that you're doing in, in the world and this podcast, you know, what a resource for, for people. And we'll link everything in the, in the show notes and everything, but, but where can people find you if they want to connect with you online? Um, so, you know, I'm probably most active on Instagram, Sarah Ezrin yoga, or just my website, Sarah and all the info's on the book there and book tour dates. We're still out and about, we're going to pick it. I don't know when this will air, but, um, we'll be picking it back up in fall of 2023. And, I plan to keep going. It's so, you know, I, like I am also an introvert or at least I think I am, but for some reason motherhood is turning me into like wanting to be out more in the world. And I don't know if like, I don't know, like they, if I could be home alone and in my bed and not talk to anybody, then I'd be a very happy person. But because I've got those two <laughs> kids at home who are like climbing the walls at all times, I'm like, let's go be with other people. Um, so we are doing that in the form of different <laughs> events all over and it's so much fun. Um, Love so, yeah. it. We'll have to try to yeah. try to come out to one of them if you have a local one. I would love that. Yeah, let us know. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.